When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Manchester United musing with Maurizio. That's according to the latest reports which suggest that Poch has been approached regarding the Old Trafford job. But is this just a case of smoke without fire? Or is there substance regarding the future of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as United manager? Elsewhere, it's bye-bye box office. The Premier League set to scrap the PPV model. We ask, did it ever work in the first place? Plus, can an English side win the Europa League with wins for Spurs, Arsenal and Leicester last night in the competition? And there's Premier League action tonight as Brighton take on Burnley and Newcastle travel to Southampton. In Floodlight Focus, Wolves are our featured club where Alex Dickin from the Birmingham Mail gives us the lowdown on Nuno Espirito Santo's side. I'm Niall, this is Football Social Daily and here with me we've got Jim Salverson. How are you doing, Jim? I'm good, man. How about you? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. And Steve McNaughton's here as well. Hi, Steve. Hey, how are we doing? Yeah, all good, all good. Right, let's start with the big news that broke from Manchester yesterday regarding Manchester United and the future of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Now, I don't want to talk about this too much because we did mention it on yesterday's podcast, but after the podcast was released, an interesting bit of information was brought out by Samuel Luckhurst, who's a writer for the Manchester Evening News. And the report said that United have approached Maurizio Pochettino's representatives about the possibility of taking over in the Old Trafford hot seat should Ole Gunnar Solskjaer get the sack. Now, I said at the start there, is this just smoke without fire, Jim? It certainly feels that Manchester United do have a tendency to keep irons in the fire and keep things bubbling away and simmering away and giving themselves options in case things do go belly up for Solskjaer. They did it with Sancho, where they spoke with Sancho's representatives more than they did with actually Borussia Dortmund, the club. But seeing as Poch is a free agent, this is a different approach and probably more straightforward if they did want to take him on. I think there's two bits to unpick here. One is that it is just reports at the moment and 
certain newspaper groups have a habit of writing headlines to attract clicks on their websites and maybe just maybe the Manchester Evening News is one of those such websites so how much truth is in the story we don't know but we do know Solskjaer's under pressure at the moment and Pochettino is a free agent so it does kind of make sense in terms of that courting a manager without necessarily approaching directly I just think it's the way the modern game works at the moment. I just think that's how it happens with players and managers. So you are going to expect to see that, whether it's the way United do things or not. I mean, is there a way United do things at the moment? And I think that's (laughs) probably kind of one of their problems is there isn't that direction. There isn't that policy. There isn't that idea of this is the way we go about our business in any way. And you can see that with the appointment of their managers over the last... What, how many years? Seven years is it since Alex Ferguson left now or something like that? First, they bring in the hand-picked manager that they expected to build a legacy and David Moyes gave him a long-term contract and sacked him after a, fr- a fraction of that contact. And they brought in the pragmatic European manager, the experienced man who could set up a defensive base and got rid of him. And then the superstar in Jose who needed the open checkbook <laughs> and binned him off. And then they've gone for the young club hero who had little experience, but they thought they'd maybe be able to build something and kind of reinstate the what it means to play for United and to be in Manchester United. And they're now going to get rid of him as well. So in terms of having a way of doing things, I think that's part of the problem. They don't have a way of doing things. They don't have an idea. They don't have a strategy. I thought you were going to say something else there, Jim. Felt like you were on a I roll. Was, I was, I was like, I'm not going so to interrupt you. I got so exasperated, I just gave up. <laughs> he ran out of breath. Uh, and maybe United fans are running out of patience with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because it must be so frustrating if you were a Manchester United supporter to see two absolutely brilliant performances against Leipzig and PSG in the Champions League and then go and be as wretched as they were against Istanbul, Bashak Shahir. I mean, that Denver bar goal was, a, was an aberration, really, from a defensive perspective. But all of that aside... Is it the case for Manchester United, Steve, of getting Pochettino whilst he is available? Because we know Ed Woodward is a real big fan of Maurizio Pochettino, especially from the work that he did at Spurs. Albeit he didn't win anything at Tottenham, but certainly earned plenty of plaudits. But Paris Saint-Germain, a side that United beat in the Champions League, as I mentioned, they're performing poorly. Um, Thomas Tuchel could be sacked if things continue there in Paris. We know what they're like with their managers. Um, Poch could possibly be tempted there. It's almost a surprise that it's been so long that he's been without a job. He said on Sky Sports earlier this week that he's in love with living in England, which makes me think he is waiting for one big opportunity to arise. And certainly, if you're talking about a top six club that looks like it might change managers sooner rather than later, you'd have to pinpoint United, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think I think Maurizio would be a good fit for United. I mean, if I put if I put me me club head on, I want Ollie to stay in position because and I don't want United to stay where they are. But you know, but it, it must be you know the United fans must be pulling their hair out at, at how things are going. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've been quite vocal about it on the podcast over the the last uh, however long Ollie's been in charge since since. Um, you know, Mourinho was sacked, and um, he's a manager who's, who's woefully out of his depth. Um, tactically, he is extremely naive. Uh, I think he's got it right a couple of times during his tenure. You know, when he's been to Man City and he's got results in, in I think, in, in you know, competition and stuff like that. I just think he's not the right profile. I think you know, if you're going to go for the young manager, you, you know, you've got to do your due diligence on it. And he was kind of like. 
when he got put in his position, it was kind of like, oh, he's, he's the only option available to us now. You know what I mean? It, it, we're talking about Man United. We're talking about one of the biggest clubs in world football. And they could go, well, they probably could do back then, but they could go on after any manager, uh, with the exception of, of, of Jurgen and, and Pep, obviously, you know, with the Man City and Liverpool thing. But they could probably go and speak to, to any manager in world football about doing the gig at Old Trafford. But they're just not that an attractive proposition anymore. There's there's massive problems at the club from top to I bottom. disagree, Steve. Yeah? I think they are still an attractive proposition because I think they are still Manchester United. And despite the fact they are not the club they used to be, I think there is still an attraction there. And I think someone like Pochettino, when you look at the other jobs, so there's links with him to PSG potentially as well. I think, I think that the challenge that Manchester United represents and the size and potential of the club is still going to be appealing. And there are those problems. And you look yeah. at how he had run-ins with Daniel Levy over control. And he's no doubt would face those similar challenges at Manchester United. But I think, I think still, because it's Manchester United and because they are the club they are and they have the history they have, I think there is still that attraction. Maybe. I think also with Pochettino, it's easy to forget where Spurs were five years um, ago when he first came in to now with the new stadium yep. being able to attract a manager of the calibre of Jose Mourinho. Sort of forget Pochettino did a did a decent job at Southampton and then got the job at Spurs off the back of that. But Tottenham are unrecognisable as a football club now compared to what they were when Pochettino first went in. So his ability to build something up, or in Manchester United's case, probably rebuild um, former glory, I think is probably what is the attraction mm. for Ed Woodward. Mm. Um, and certainly it's like... It's going to take a while though. Oh, it's going to take a while, no doubt. But I just think if you take it from a Liverpool perspective, Steve, just think about that squad that Jurgen Klopp inherited back in 2015 oh, or whenever it was, yeah. compared to where you are now. That first game against Tottenham. Yeah, crazy. But it's it's. I think it's one of them. I think that the big challenge with the United job is is it's working with that board. It's it's a lack of a director of football, which is a massive problem, because Ed Woodward has a a dumbfounding inability to get deals done for players. Um, I mean, the Jaden Sancho thing was was an embarrassment over summer. I mean, it was literally in the bag at one point, and um, I just think that. It's it's going to take years. You know, they're a long time behind. Sorry, a long way behind um, City. Uh, you know, across the other side of Manchester and everything. You know, they've got some challenges commercially coming up with with sponsors, um, and which is going to have a financial impact on the club, and it's going to obviously affect the transfer uh, budget and policy. And I just think it's. It's, there's got to be a line in the sand at Man United because like like Jim pointed out since Sir Alex Ferguson um, depending on which way your bread's butter is arguably the greatest British manager of all time mm. um, they, they they have been a, a fumbling mess with everything there's not a lot that's gone right I mean yes they obviously picked up a Europa League and, and an FA Cup but that isn't good enough for a club of Man United stature Man United want to be in Champions League finals they want to be going to the biggest stadiums in Europe and collecting the big honours and they want to be fighting for league titles and you know we talked about some of the clubs earlier on the podcast you know you mentioned in Canada your Leicester's your Tottenham's your Everton's Southampton and Wolves uh, Chelsea they're so far ahead of them in terms of challenging for um, top four positions and ultimately a league it, it's going to be a work in progress and I think that 
if Mauricio goes in, it's a great appointment for everyone concerned because he loves living in England. As he said, it's a massive mm. club. It's a big old stadium that, that when it's full. Uh, yes, it's an old stadium, a bit dilapidated, but um, it's 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 all there, but it's going to take time. And I think there's got to be a sense of realism in it where they might languish for another couple of years when Pochettino comes in. They might see some green shoot, shoots of improvement, but you know it could be... Um, like I say, it could be a couple of years before they really see the strategy pay dividends. And I just think that we've all had to go through it. Liverpool have had to go through it when they, they nearly went out of business 10 years ago and, and Man City got that line in the sand when, when the money come in and, and the new owners come in and changed the philosophy and culture of the club. And United haven't had that moment yet. They haven't had that uh, line in the sand where it's mm. right, this isn't working, something's got to change. Um, I mean, the, the deal with Chevrolet is up at the end of the season, isn't mm-hmm. it? And, you know, as the shirt sponsor, and, you know, are United going to be able to command that massive amount of money that they have done in the past, you know, from a new shirt sponsor? I, I don't know. Someone closer to it will probably be able to give us the answer to that. But I just think it's it's rip it up and start again and, and rebuild that, that humongous, famous football club from the ground upwards, get a director of football in. Get a, a coach in with a good philosophy like Mauricio Pochettino has, who will play good football because United fans want to see, um, you know, United attack teams and be fluent and be, you know, scoring bagfuls of goals. They don't want a manager who doesn't know his ass from his elbow and is picking players to please people and he's putting players, you know, out of position and he's constantly changing and he's not convinced on his own formations. Formation, so I don't think he knows completely what he's doing. But yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but ultimately, it is it is a mess. That is an absolute mess. Can I say one more? Can I, can I say one more thing on this? Just before we move on, I know you want to move on to something else, but I think Steve's kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think Pochettino is a good fit for Manchester United in terms of where they are at the moment, the football they want to play, the job they want to rebuild. I think it works for me. There's United fans who will go, "Oh, what's he won? What's he's won?" And yeah, he hasn't won much, but. I tell you what, in the last few years, Manchester United haven't won much either. So it does feel like it works for me. But I think what's going to be really important about this next appointment, whether it's Pochettino or whether it's someone else, is this is going to be the proof in the pudding as to whether the club can succeed under the Glazers and under Woodward. Because there's a certain fraction of fans at the moment who say, we won't improve, we won't be able to do anything under this regime. And I'm not sure that's necessarily the case because I think there's clubs with worst owners that take out more money from the football club and invest less that have done well in the Premier League. And don't forget that Solskjaer has been backed. Harry Maguire, Wambasaka, Bruno Fernandes, Van der Beek, Daniel James, Edison Cavani. He's brought in some expensive and good players in his short, relatively short time at the club. So if they continue to make that investment with a little bit more structure and a manager who has a plan, I think the club can do well. And then it will be really interesting to see how that opposition to the Glazers and their regime takes shape and whether that noise, that anti-Glazer fraction does tend to die down a little bit. Sorry, I don't think it will. I think while they're taking the money they are and they're crippling the club financially, I don't think that discourse will go away. Right, that's it for today's Manchester United Mothers Meeting podcast. Um, <laughs> join us next week where we discuss more situations at Old Trafford. Uh, no, in all seriousness, very much a case of watch this space, watch this space regarding Manchester United, I feel, 
never a dull moment at that football club. And as Steve rightly says, a giant of the English game. Um, quite strange to see them performing, well, underperforming in recent seasons, that's for sure. Talking of watching this space, I think I'd rather stare into empty space than pay 15 quid to watch a Premier League game. But that's the way things have been over the last few weeks. But the Premier League have decided they're going to scrap the pay-per-view model. That's according to reports. It certainly feels like this one's gathering momentum and it is almost guaranteed to happen, Jim. Was 15 quid the right idea anyway? Was it, I mean, it, is this something that should just have been done ages ago? Yeah. I mean, we could be really quick on this one. We went over on Manchester United, let's be under on PPV because 100% the right choice to scrap it now because plain and simple, it was taking advantage of fans and it was absolutely 100% tone deaf if we're in a situation where we're talking about 3 p.m games getting on telly for the first time fans being in the stadium and the world being normal my kind of attitude there is fine charge what you like it's your product at the end of the day football fans are used to being overcharged it's why we spend 60 quid on a replica shirt and 10 quid on a hot dog at Wembley or whatever it is so we're, we're kind of <laughs> speak for yourself Jim yeah, I, don't, I don't buy either of those things by the way but some people do no, I'm not 14 years old I don't buy a replica Jim, Jim shirt. takes a plowman's with him <laughs> <laughs> bag of boiled sweets for half time um, yeah it's, <laughs> secret Reading fan it's yeah I mean football is overpriced and fans do get stung constantly for different things but right now the situation we find ourselves in where the only way that fans could watch certain games, they didn't have the option of going to watch a game in a stadium. Charging them 15 quid, particularly at a time when people were struggling financially, was absolutely tone deaf. So 100% the right thing to do, scrap it. I mean, not least because no one was actually watching the PPV games either when you look at some of the fixtures that they were charging for. So yeah, for once, the Premier League making a good choice. Steve, some quick thoughts. I know that you've been passionately against this. Yeah, absolutely. I was against it the first time they did it when when you know Prem Plus come in on, on Sky. I don't know if you guys remember that, but I think it was like 10.95 for the game and I can't remember what year it was. Um, and it fell on its arse then and it's a disgusting way to treat fans who pay big money for subscriptions and a lot of people, well, the vast majority of people are, are you know, on furlough and suffering because of the pandemic are really, really poor-sighted and... Um, you know, unsubstantiated idea to do. And I just think shame on them. Really disgusted with them. Yeah, definitely something that I'm not on board with either. Um, and if you were disgusted by this, Steve, you're about to blow a gasket because not only are we going to talk about the scrapping of PPV, Manchester United, but now Jordan Pickford is next on the agenda on today's Football Social Great. Daily podcast. <laughs> Gareth Southgate's announced his England squad. The usual suspects in the England squad. No real surprises in there, at least from what I could see. But one thing that Gareth Southgate did say regarding the latest selection for the international break, which is coming up after this weekend's Premier League games, is that he said nobody is really close to challenging Jordan Pickford as England's number one. Now, Gareth Southgate has sort of annoyed a few fans in recent times with some of his strange selections, the likes of not playing Jack Grealish when England looked desperate for a creative player. But Jordan Pickford's form has taken a massive hit. Regardless of whether you love him or hate him, there's no denying that he's not performing as well as he could do. Is Gareth Southgate now taking the fans for fools with this comment? Because if I was Nick Pope or Dean Henderson, I'd be absolutely furious that Southgate's come out and said nobody's close to challenging him. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre thing to say, and it is it is a real slap in the face for for you know, Nick Pope and Dean Henderson as well. Jo Jordan Pickford. Um, has been a mess for a long time. His game has been spiralling and out of control. And it's, um, 
it's a weird one because sometimes he will pull a absolute worldy of a save off you know from, from when someone has a shot from distance um he isn't commanding enough in his early for me he's rash he, he's good at putting the ball out you know he's he can he's good at playing out from the back and um you know setting up a, a over the top attacks with with his ability to hit the ball in extremely large distances but i just think i don't i just don't think, i'm just not convinced he's england's best keeper and i think you know I'd be going with Dean Henderson at the moment if it was me personally. Um, I think you know the kid is is a, and is an excellent goalkeeper, and he, he never puts a foot wrong, and he hasn't got that rashness about him, and he's not got that inability to command his box, and he's a great shot stopper, and his distribution is really good. I just don't understand why Gareth Southgate would say that nobody's close to challenging Pickford. The form that he's been in. Is dreadful and it obviously culminated with a tackle a few weeks ago that's that's wrecked the player's season, and mm. um, it's he's I don't know it's just it's bizarre. Um, I don't rate him anyway. I've said it. You guys know on the podcast for the last eighteen months or whatever it is, I've I've said he's nowhere near good enough. Um, and mm. I think we've got better. And I think you know to be to shut the door on the other goalkeepers that we've got is, I think it's going to be a mistake from Southgate and I think it's going to blow up in his face. I think in one of these coming games, I think, you know, get your predictions in, but I think Pickford will make a high profile mistake. We'll have to wait and see on that front, but certainly there's no doubt that he's not having a great season or a great 12 to 18 months, I'd argue, Jim. We've spoken about Jordan Pickford loads on the podcast and we've spoken about what we think his issues might be. But in terms of this comment specifically from Southgate, do you think that this is just a bit of a confidence booster for Jordan Pickford, because his form has been suspect. I think maybe the statement is a confidence boost. I don't think his selection is a confidence boost because there are people that are close to challenging Jordan Pickford. But at the same time, I kind of get it. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with it, but I kind of get it. For the exactly what Steve pointed out, Pickford is there, as we've talked about many times before, he's there for his distribution, largely. And that's mm. it. And that's yeah. an area where Nick Pope and Dean Henderson aren't as strong. So Southgate's making a judgment call that that's the most important thing he wants in his keeper at this moment over the maybe the decision-making and the shot-stopping, which we have seen Jordan Pickford has struggled with in recent weeks. And I kind of think, actually, at the moment, at this particular point in time, I probably would pick... Pickford ahead of Nick Pope and Henderson largely because Dean Henderson just isn't playing at the moment he's not getting the same game time he was at Sheffield United he's being used in the Champions League by Manchester United but he's not appearing in the league and Nick Pope is a good keeper but when we're looking ahead to the future England tournaments then Pickford probably is the right call because you want to kind of establish your team early doors so I'm not a fan of Pickford in any way and I think he is too liable to make mistakes but I can see why Southgate has made that decision and I think probably at the moment in terms of what he specifically looks for in a player there Mm. probably is no one that's close to Pickford in that area. So right what you're saying is you don't think Pickford is the best goalkeeper in England but you think he is the best goalkeeper for England. I think so at the moment in terms of the way Southgate wants to play. That's a very concise way to put it. But yeah, I can't, I can't really see where the other options are at the moment. Well, if you needed any more evidence that Jim Salverson smokes crack, then uh, there you go. There it is. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking, of course. Um, Jordan Pickford, 
uh, was most likely going to start the games for England in the international break. What do you think? Let us know on Sport Social. Join the discussion at the Sport Social on Twitter, at Sport Social Official on Instagram. And you can also find us on Facebook just by searching Sport Social. You can also go onto the website, sport-social.co.uk. Take a look at some of the articles on there and leave a comment as well on the articles. Join the discussion. Let us know what you think. Um, yeah, definitely do that and check out all the latest content over there. Time for a quick break now on Football Social Daily. But afterwards, we'll be talking about our Premier League sides and how they performed in the Europa League. Coming up next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Niall, Jim and Steve are alongside me here on Football Social Daily today and we're going to discuss the Europa League, more specifically the way that our Premier League teams performed in the competition last night. Leicester were absolutely brilliant, I thought. They beat Braga, the Portuguese side, by four goals to nil. Some standout performances from what I could see. James Madison was very good. Ian Acho looked bright. I thought Hamza Chowdhury looked very, very good in a defensive midfield position in the absence of Ndidi. I mean, Steve, when injuries die down, do you think Leicester, with the way they play, can be a real force to be reckoned with in the Europa League? We said something similar about Wolves last season, but certainly if they can perform like they did last night with what is albeit not a full-strength squad, then they've got a chance in my book. Absolutely. I think Leicester can can have a bit of confidence where the Europa League is concerned because, you know, like I've said previously, the, the team's that are in the group stages and certainly early knockout rounds in, in that competition uh, are just not of the standard, I think, to test the likes of Leicester. And I think they can fancy themselves to get into the into the knockout stages. And I'm not sure what the format is this year, whether they are doing two legs or whether it's a it's one game. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But I think they can look at it and just go, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll happily take on uh, the vast majority of teams in Europe and, and back ourselves. I mean, if you look at the Premier League form as well, you know, the, the, I mean, they don't lose very often, and they play good football. He's got a good squad there, and and obviously the depth there because let's not forget Sionku's out for three months as well with a, I think he's torn his abductor, hasn't he, um, or ruptured his abductor one or two off the bone. So, I think you know it's a nasty injury that, and um, you know they've got these players that are coming in and are slotting into positions that they don't normally play in. They're doing a great job and that is a real luxury for Brandon Rogers to have that he can count on these lads to come in and perform for him. 4 nils a great result against Braga. Uh, you know, fair play to them. Yeah, definitely. Thought they zipped the ball around really nicely. Did get a few moments of fortune, but I'm certainly in agreement with Steve that I think Leicester do have a real chance in the Europa League this season. In terms of a Premier League perspective, winning convincingly in Europe, Jim, can only boost the confidence heading into the weekend's fixtures. Yeah, and any team who's in the Europa League from the Premier League has the ability to go deep into that competition. Then it becomes a lottery. Then you start taking it seriously. So we can't read too much into their group performances, I don't think. But let me get my crack pipe out because I'm going to say something else slightly outrageous. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we talk about the Premier League form and the players, they have been missing the likes of Madison and Didi has been out. Vardy was out for a spell as well. And they've done all right in the Premier League. They're still in touching distance to that top. So why can't they potentially challenge for the Premier League this season? Because we're seeing a similar situation to we did in 2016 when the big teams, inverted commas, are struggling slightly and they're picking up points. Leicester City are still picking up points and they're a better team than they were in 2016. 
So why can't they go on to potentially continue to challenge? We're seven games in now, and they're up at the top of the table. Why can't that be the case? Stamina, Jim. I'm just in. not sure they've got it to do it over a 38-game season. I think we've just we've just said they've got depth. We've just said they've got players yeah. and depth, and they've 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 got through what a lot of teams would class as an injury crisis in the first stage of the season. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, they got they dicked three 0 by West Ham. So any defeat to West Ham <laughs> so by a that amount of goals <laughs> is a cause for concern, especially if you're trying to chase a, a Premier League title. I suppose you, you do have a good point, though, Jim. I guess you're in an era where you know Man City and, and Liverpool are, are just you know so far ahead of everyone else in terms of quality. I think it's it's very difficult because you're relying on two Man City, Man City and Liverpool, to have wobbles at the same time. And for Leicester to, to win their games, and 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 they'd need a big cushion, I think, because I think they'd be hunted down if they were at the top. And fair play to them, you know, they they are a very well run football club. They've got a good manager, and um, really really good owners. Um, and it's the but I, I think top four is probably um, uh, at the minute the limit for them, unless something dramatic happens to Man City or Liverpool. Well, you talk about Leicester possibly mounting a charge for the Premier League title, Jim. What about Spurs? They seem more likely to do just that. They bounced back from their last Europa League defeat to Antwerp a week ago with a valuable victory over Luda Goretz, the Bulgarian club. Mm. Harry Kane was the headline in the game. They won three goal- by three goals to one, by the way, did Tottenham. But Kane scored his 200th goal in 300 Spurs appearances. Now, I know Luda Goretz aren't exactly glitzy opposition but you've got to score against who you're playing against. And Harry Kane has done that 200 times in He's 300, Kane, in 300 games. Massive, I mean, you can't say... Massively overrated player. I know you're being sarcastic, <laughs> but to those people that do say that, I mean, those stats, I mean, you can even break it down. I'll break it down further for you. 200 goals in 300 games, equal split home and away. 101 goals home, 99 goals away. He's, it's just like, I mean, come on, the guy's a machine. He is. He's an absolutely quality player. And I think what is... Good for Spurs this season is so far he's stayed fit and so far he's remained in form and in amongst the goals. But the positive is they have other players that can come in and replace him if and when he does get injured now. And I thought it was interesting last night that Jose Mourinho continued his squad rotation, particularly after the defeat to Antwerp when he was hauling players off at half-time and he said pointedly after the game that he didn't think he could trust anyone that was outside his first eleven or words to that effect. So the fact that he was willing to rotate a little bit again, I think was quite telling that he does believe he's got a little bit of depth in his squad and actually his statements afterwards were just a bit of a kick up the ass. But I think for Tottenham, they're in a really good place at the moment and it seems to be all coming together and we weren't entirely sure it was going to work for Jose Mourinho at Spurs but he's kind of found the format that he found in his first spell at Chelsea in which that he's worked with the defensive side of his team and he's built quite a solid back line but then he has so much talent going forward in the likes of Gareth Bale now and Harry Kane and Son that he can kind of almost let them go and get on with it and let them do what they want because his results will be based on that defensive line. So, yeah, I, I think it's looking really impressive. I was, if I was a Spurs supporter, which I'm 100% not, and that, the thought of that makes me feel sick, I'd be, yeah, <laughs> I'd be quite optimistic at the moment. Gareth Bale was involved again, um, had a free kick saved, bit of link-up play in one of the goals. He's not quite in full flow yet Steve but it feels like it might not be far off that he really does start to pick up yeah Cream always rises to the top and, and Gareth Bale is a special player 
And he's not had a lot of game time as well, in fairness to him. You know, he was Zidane, even though he, he said there was no problem with him, he just didn't like him, didn't rate him, didn't want him starting games for Real Madrid, which I think is, is crazy um, when Real Madrid have had their own challenges in recent times. And I think, you know, having someone of the quality of Bale in the squad is only a good thing. He'll come good. You know, he's, he's a top pro. He's in incredible condition. Um, he scores some unbelievable goals and, and he gives Tottenham a quality that they've not had for a long time, you know, alongside Bale and, and Son, you know, that is a formidable front three that for Tottenham and he will score goals for them. And I think um, it, it's a good time for Tottenham. Um, you know, the vibe is good coming out of the club. It's not, um, if they lose a game, it's not the end of the world. Uh, you know, whereas previously the Wolves would have been out for holes. They wouldn't if they got if they got beat by, I don't know, um, Southampton away or something like that, you know, that they've been circling for him. But now everyone can see that what he is doing mm-hmm. and what he is building is starting to take shape. And apparently Daniel Levy loves him. And, um, you know, the, the that documentary, the Amazon one, paints a picture. Gareth Bale is, is another piece in a jigsaw that is is starting to take real shape. And I think fair dues to Tottenham because they, they've stayed on course with it. They've had the doubters. They got really close with with Pochettino, obviously, to Champions League glory, getting to the final in Madrid. And um, I think it's going to be a good season for them. I think they're too big for the for, for, for the Europa League. Don't think it's a competition Tottenham would want to be in all the yeah. time. Gareth Bale isn't a player who should be playing away at Antwerp in the, in the Europa League. Um, and I just think that, yeah, you know, they'll fancy themselves quietly for top four. Let's switch to the other side of North London, where Arsenal played Mulder at the Emirates and won by four goals to one. Just a quick point on Arsenal's young players, Jim, because we mentioned Chelsea's young players loads and we have done over the last 18 months on the podcast. But what about theirs? Nketiah, Willock, Saka, Maitland-Niles, a number of those players I've just listed off, Mm. a fully-fledged England age group or full senior internationals. I think we've got a little bit carried away with the new additions and the contract extensions at Arsenal in recent weeks. But Fergal, if you go back... 16 months or so he's been banging on about the young crop at Arsenal too and now we're kind of seeing exactly how good they are and I kind of like the way that Arteta's integrated them in the first team as well it's been last season we saw them playing in the Europa League more and more but maybe not so much in the Premier League and now we're seeing them start to make claims for places in that first 11 ahead of maybe the more established stars people like Pepe so I think it's really promising for Arsenal and particularly I think that the pick of the crop for me is Nketiah who's really impressing me when he's getting his chances and he was in and out of the team a little bit last season still only 21 but seems to be making that step up to being a first team regular now and he's appeared in I think he's appeared in every single one of Arsenal's Premier League uh, games so far this season and obviously he's having an impact in the Europa League starting there as well so I mean it's, it's it's, it's what you want to see your football club do what Arsenal are doing, that mix Mm. of that new young talent with those established international players is really working for them. And it's a good blueprint in terms of how to establish and bring forward a football club because you've got that constant conveyor belt of when you get your Aubameyangs leaving the club, you've got that next person to come and step into that role. So yeah, really impressive young crop at Arsenal. Saka's the pick of the bunch for me, just personally, but I can see why people would eye up Enketia uh, as a really promising talent. Everyone loves a goal scorer, don't they? Well, not when they score against Pompey in the FA Cup like Enketia did last season. Yeah. I couldn't give two 
it's actually about his career after that now um anyway talking about premier league action tonight because of course we are a daily premier league podcast and we can't ignore that friday night sees two top flight fixtures let's start on the south coast in fact both games are on the south coast tonight brighton versus burnley so it's sussex where we begin um where the seagulls take on the clarets and it's certainly a, t- a tale of two sides steve who are looking to arrest poor form at this moment in time burnley just one point from their opening six top flight matches they're in the relegation zone as for brighton they're still lower mid-table, but certainly they've not picked up the points that they might have wanted from the performances that they've put in. How do you see this one going? It feels like it might be tougher to call than face value. I see this one going as my TV's going to be switched off. Um, <laughs> to, be, to be quite honest, it's, uh, oh my, you know, you couldn't think of a duller game. That's harsh on Brighton. You couldn't think of a duller game than this tonight, to be, to be fair. And uh, I think, yeah, Brighton, you know, cause for concern. No wins in five. And, and Burnley had been at an absolute free fall. I don't think anyone could have predicted that Burnley would be propping the league up after six games and having lost five of them and drawn one. You know, they're on one point for the season, which is a a real um, concern for everyone connected with that football club. I think Brighton probably have just got enough to edge it uh, tonight. I think they've got some, uh, you know, really good players in the squad. Uh, I think Lamptey is is coming into really good form and he's looking very, very uh, strong at the minute and certainly can. Getting admiring glances from a lot of the other teams around Europe at the minute, and I think you know Brighton probably have got a few more goals in them, um, you know, than, than Burnley, and I think that might get. I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game. I think they might just edge it um, tonight, but I think I'd probably go with Brighton on current form. We say that Jim that Brighton have got goals in them, and they've dominated teams, even some of the bigger sides. They've put in really good performances in the opening games that they've had. But the problem is it's against those non-top eight teams, so to speak, that they've struggled to get over the line. It's what we've seen quite regularly in the Premier League this season, I think, in that teams like Brighton, who try and play slightly expansive football, if they have the opportunity to play maybe the bigger teams who give them that little bit more space and maybe don't sit back and absorb the pressure, then that they have those opportunities. Whereas if you're playing a team that will perform the, as we like to call it now, the low block, the sitting back and defending, Brighton are going to struggle to break through that defensive barrier because they don't quite have that quality and they don't quite have that little bit of magic in the final third to get that opportunity. But it's an interesting one. Mm. Both games are interesting tonight. You've got Southampton, Newcastle and Brighton versus Burnley. And they're both... Beauty and the Beast scenarios, aren't they? It's both the team that wants to play ugly and grind out results versus the other team who is trying to do something a little bit different and play slightly more expansive football. I love that, Beauty and the Beast. In terms of team news, Tariq Lamte, I know you've been a big fan of him, Jim. Uh, He was withdrawn in the last game against Tottenham due to cramp, but he looks like he should be fit again for the game uh, against Burnley. So he looks like he'll be back to full fitness, which is positive news for the Seagulls. For Burnley, could have Phil Bardsley and Ben Mee back from injury, which could be massive for them at the back. So that's the early kickoff in the Premier League. Brighton against Burnley tonight at the Amex Stadium. And moving about 50 to 60 miles or so west along the south coast now to St Mary's Stadium where Southampton take on Newcastle United the big team news ahead of this one Steve is that Southampton will be without Danny Ings Mm -hmm. for six weeks due to a knee surgery that he's having um, after an injury sustained in last week's game big blow for Southampton no doubt can they cope with it I suppose is the question 
It's going to be interesting. He's been Danny Ings last couple of seasons has been absolutely phenomenal. I know it's not something you want to hear, Niall, as a Pompey fan, but when he went down at the weekend and said his, his knee's gone, I was like, oh no, I, I was really gutted for him because he had two severe knee injuries that wrecked his time at Liverpool. And, um, you know, it, it's resulted in, in Jurgen Klopp having a conversation with him saying, you have to be playing football every week because he's that good. And I think he's a real talisman for Southampton. And he's, the goal he scored last week was unbelievable and they will miss that and Newcastle uh, are quietly going about the business and you know they've they've made some decent signings and I think that Newcastle are in form that suits them and, and probably just demonstrates where their position is in the pecking order really it's a flip of a coin game this tonight I think yeah definitely it's interesting to think about who Southampton might play up front um, in the absence of Danny Ings but certainly Callum Wilson for Newcastle United has been a bit of a breath of fresh air in the forward line for Newcastle. A lot of people were curious as to whether he should have been uh, picked in the England squad. I certainly don't think that it's a surprise that he's been excluded from Gareth Southgate's three Lions team. But definitely something that Newcastle fans can be more confident with in terms of striking options. Yeah, I think Newcastle need the outlet. The way they play at the moment, they need to have a reliable striker up front which they just didn't have last season because they absorb pressure and then they hit it long and hope that their front three can get something on the break and to have someone who's going to finish those chances repeatedly I think is really important for them because they're not going to make many chances and Callum Wilson seems to be doing it so far this season I think this game comes down to really whether Ralph Hasenhutl it's a real test for Ralph Hasenhutl this one actually because particularly without Danny Ings can he find a way past Newcastle's stoic defending and I think that's the big question and as you say it's interesting to see who he decides to play up front whether Shea Adams who's been a bit better this season gets the call whether Theo Walcott slots into that kind of front position even Shane Long's still at the club I think so they could look to bring him and play him up front Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they take on Newcastle and how they find a way through but for me it's more about whether Southampton can find a way through Newcastle more than whether Newcastle can outplay Southampton because Newcastle are just going to play like Newcastle. They're just going to sit back, <laughs> absorb the pressure and try and hit them on the break because it's what Steve Bruce does every single game. Yeah, certainly I, I don't know what to expect from this game, to be honest. It certainly feels like if Danny Ings was fit, he'd probably sway towards Southampton being successful. But now that he's not there... Set pieces. Yeah, set pieces might be massive, Steve. You're absolutely right. That's both, teams, the, uh, both teams doing pretty... I, th- I think both teams are probably exceeding expectations so far this season. Newcastle have picked up some good wins and Southampton are currently sitting in fifth. So I don't think either fan base is going to be too distraught if they lose this one. But I think it's a better game than maybe we're giving it credit for. Southampton against Newcastle. Another evening kickoff this Friday in the Premier League. Wolverhampton Wanderers, of course, in action this weekend as well in the English top flight. And we'll get the lowdown on Nuno Espirito Santos' side next here on Football Social Daily as Alex from the Birmingham Mail joins us to talk Wolves in Floodlight Focus. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. 
Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast you can find. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and that way you won't miss another episode. Right now, though, it's time for Floodlight Focus. And the focus is on Wolverhampton Wanderers. And to talk to us all about Wolves, we've got Alex Dickin, who writes about Wolves for the Birmingham Mail. How are you doing, Alex? Hi, I'm good. Thank you, Now. Nice one. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'll tell you what, it must be an exciting time to be a Wolves fan, especially the last three or four seasons with promotion from the Championship, seventh place finish in the Premier League, another seventh place finish in the Premier League. Is that going to be the aim again for Wolves? Finish seventh or maybe even higher this season because they've got off to a very good start? Yeah, it's been an incredible three years. Um, I think the, the aim again has to be improved uh, on last season. You know, Nuno's Nuno's kind of had that as his as his aim for the three years he's been here. They've done it so far. Um, I think people will say last season was an improvement, a slight improvement on the season before. They got a couple more points and finished seventh again, yes. But they also had to balance the Europa League campaign as well, which went really well. Um, obviously getting to the quarterfinals of that. And then I think without that this season um, and the improvements they've made in the, uh, in the transfer window, um, significantly in terms of the squad depth they've got now, I think the aim again is to be to, to challenge for those top six positions. Uh, I think this, this league is much stronger this, this year. I think there's going to be, you know, the top six, I think, will want to be the top six, uh, which wasn't the case last year with Arsenal being a bit below. Um, and there's also Leicester, West Ham look good, Everton look very good. Um, so there's going to be a lot of competition. But I think that the aim again has to be to finish at least seventh or try and get into the top six. It's really interesting that, Nile says there's been some great results this season because I think of Wolves at the moment as maybe not being quite as impressive as I expected them to be. But then you look at the table and I was right, you're three points off the top at the moment. But I guess that's a symbol of the expectations that are on Wolves now and the performances they've put in in previous seasons is they're expected to be in that top six, maybe even that top four position now. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, performances haven't been that good this season. Um, they've tried to tweak their style a little bit. I mean, in the last three years, it's been very much a counter-attacking style. They've had far um, less of the ball than their opponents, but um, they have tried to tweak it a little bit more so they get more of the ball and are more productive with it. Um, and there's been a few teething problems at the start of this season. Um, I think back to the game against, you know, against West Ham in particular, where they had more of the ball, but West Ham did a wall to them, really. They battered them without the ball um, and killed them on the counter. But uh, but it's, it's improved recently a little bit. You know, the last the last few games, I think they've won three or four now. The draw against Newcastle, which they probably should have won as well. Uh, the last four games have been OK. Uh, they've had more control of the games and have created more chances, especially the last game against Crystal Palace was fantastic. Probably the best game we've seen this season by a distance. Um, but it, they've got, a, they've got a, I think, the run at the start of this season, apart from the Man City game, Wolves fans are expecting points. Um, they expect it to, to have a very good start to the season. I think now, with Leicester starting on Sunday, um, they're going to a trickier run of games where I think we'll see how far Wolves have come and how, how you know, key or useful those, those improvements they made to the squad over the summer will be. No doubt there is a project there over at Molyneux, Alex, and people have been able to see that in the flesh over the last few seasons, kind of piece by piece of the puzzle, building up to Wolves improving gradually on a season by season basis. But with that, obviously, the manager, Nuno Espirito Santo, is going to get plaudits and mm. probably attract a fair bit of attention. So is there any concern amongst Wolves fans that perhaps another club might come swooping for Santo if things continue to improve? I don't think so at the moment. I think Nuno has always been quite committed to it. You know, he signed a new three-year contract recently. 
Um, his contract was due to end at the end of this season, but he signed a new three-year contract. And before that, there was quite a bit of concern because he'd been linked with two jobs uh, during his time at Wolves. Everton in the first season, which went away fairly, fairly quickly, and Arsenal midway through last season when, uh, when Emery was sacked. Um, and that was a bit of a concern at the time. Um, but I think since then, it's been fairly, you know, I think Wolves fans have been quite relaxed about the situation. And um, as soon as he signed that new three-year contract at the start of this season, you know, on the eve of the new season, um, and then, you know, big players have followed since. Raul Jimenez has signed a new contract, long-term Cody, Pedro Neto, Max Kilman. There's been a lot of players and they want to get more players tied down. Um, so I think it's it's fairly relaxed now. And I don't think Wolves fans are, are worried about losing him. But again, you know, as you say, He's done an incredible job and I think there will be top clubs interested in him eventually. But I don't think, you know, I think it's going to take a very, very big club for him for him to eventually, you know, leave Wolves. Steve was a, a big fan of Adama Traore last season, weren't you, Steve? You thought he was excellent last year. Um, what's happened to him this year? Yeah, what's happened to him this year, though, Alex? Any reason for, for the drop-off in form? It's felt like the first season there was he's no... playing fullback. <laughs> he's been made to play fullback and he's not uh, a fullback. That's the problem. Come on. Come I'm a, on. I'm a bigger Dharma Troyer fan too, and to be fair, it's been annoying me kind of how he's not hit those those levels he hit last year at the start of this season. Again, like you say, he has been playing wing-back the first couple of games and I think that's kind of taken him out his stride a bit. Um, to be fair, he wasn't that that great after the lockdown came in. Um, I think between about October and March, uh, before the lockdown, he was incredible. Probably one of the top five players in the Premier League. He was just consistent every single week. Um, was you know creating goals, scoring goals, um, and his dribbling stats are absolutely off the chart. But uh, since lockdown, he hasn't always started games. Wolves have swapped between three five two and three four three, and um, he was. You know, normally the full guy dropped to the bench a couple of times, but this season it's been tough because he had to start the season at wing back. And then when Samedo came in, he played at wing back, and Adama didn't do that well when he got his chance on the in the front three against West Ham. And it's been very much kind of um, Podence, Neto, and Raul Jimenez. And I think um, you know Neto and Podence in those two roles that you know would normally see it would normally have been Jota and Adama last season. I think it's key with those two. Because the the way Wolves try to play now is with the ball, um, and I think Podence gives them a little bit more in terms of creativity. And Neto, to be fair, has been in fantastic form this season, so it'd be tough to drop either of them. But I think eventually, because of the talent Adama has, you know, he's a, a world beater on his day. I think he will get into the team, um, and it'll be interesting to see actually in these these next few games when Wolves aren't going to have as much of the ball, whether his speed on the counter attack is used. In the summer, Alex, Wolves sold Diogo Jota to Liverpool for around 40 million quid. And obviously he started at Anfield like an absolute train. He's on fire, hat-trick yeah. in the Champions League midweek. What do you say to those people who might consider Wolves like a stepping stone club for the stars to move on to bigger things? Because something tells me as a neutral that that might not be the first player, Diogo Jota, that moves on from Wolves to what would be perceived a big six club. Do you think that there's an element of that at Molyneux or is that maybe something that it's kind of taken over the top, perhaps. I think probably a little bit over the top. I think it was the Jota one was controlled. Um, I think his time had come to an end at Wolves. He wasn't great last season. Um, you know, he got 16 goals, I think, but he only scored in 10 of 48 games. And towards the end, he wasn't a guaranteed starter. Um, and at the start, the start of this season, he was probably fourth in line to play in, in those those two wing positions behind Raul Jimenez. 
Um, so he was kind of bottom of the pecking order. So I think, you know, given the fee that Liverpool, Liverpool were able to pay and uh, the strong strong position walls are in with Adama, Neto and Pedence all in those positions ahead of Jota, I think it made sense for all parties. Jota needed a fresh start as well. And to be honest, I think Wolves knew that he would be a success at Liverpool. You know, he's he's an incredible player. Some of the games he's he's played for Wolves over the last the last three years uh, were remarkable. I think back to the FA Cup game against Man United, where he just absolutely bullied them um, and left Luke Shaw on the halfway on the floor and then went to score a, score the winner. Um, hmm. Just an incredible player. Hat tricks as well. Three hat tricks. Scored a hat trick for Liverpool the other night. He's a streaky player as well. You know, he can go on long runs where he scores goals and long runs where he doesn't. But hmm. um, I think it's a it's a great deal for Liverpool, but also a great deal for Wolves. I don't think there's really a loser in it. Um, I think that, you know, as you say about, you know, Wolves potentially being a stepping stone, I don't see that one as an example of that. But I suppose we'll have to wait and see how it goes over the next few years. You know, if a, a, a bigger player or something or a Raul Jimenez or a ne- Neves leaves, I think that would, that would hurt Wolves more. Mm. But the Jota one, I think, made sense, really. Do you think there's a bit of a realisation as to maybe how good Diogo Jota was for Wolves now? Because I don't remember when he left there being too many complaints from Wolves fans, partly because the fee was seen as very decent mm. at the time. And then we've seen we've seen a kind of sparkle at Wolves and we've kind of seen, sorry, sparkle at Liverpool. We've kind of seen Wolves' performances, as you say, drop off a little bit as well. So do you think maybe his his worth to the team was being underestimated. I think it was the time when he left more than anything because, you know, Wolves had just played the, the Europa League quarterfinal against Sevilla and I think Nuno went into that game because of the squad they had last season with probably, I think it was 12 senior outfield players and Jota was the last one that he trusted to come on the field um, because he hadn't been playing well. That was, I think that was kind of why there wasn't this, you know, a massive outcry from Wolves fans when it happened. Um but there is, there is also, you know, Wolves fans have been shouting about Jota for three years. You know, he's been, I think, almost underrated in the Premier League to this point. And now that he's at Liverpool and that the eyes, are, the eyes of the world are on him, I think people are starting to see how good he is. And I think he'll get better, to be honest. I think they'll, they'll eventually, you know, have a player there that is capable of walking into Mane, Salah or Firmino's shoes because those players are getting, getting towards their, you know, their 30s now. So just finally then, Alex, I guess the point would be, as we mentioned at the start of this little chat here, that, you know, finishing uh, maybe above seventh would be the kind of the main aim improvement on the points tally from last season. With the way that this season's gone in the Premier League and the fact that it's completely upside down, the way that the results have gone, it's been absolutely wild, to be honest. Um, Definitely a possibility for Wolves to do that and perhaps achieve their highest ever Premier League finish. Yeah, I think so. It's been absolutely crazy, hasn't it? You know, seen Aston Villa lose, beat beat Liverpool seven two, and then you know they go and lose to Leeds three nil. Wolves, you know, lose to West Ham four uh, nil. Leicester lost to West Ham three nil, and then Wolves go and you know go and win three of the next four. Um, it's a, it's a crazy crazy league this year. Um, I think eventually we'll we'll start to see you know the better teams come through, and we'll start to see the likes of Liverpool and Man City probably pull away again. Chelsea as well look quite good. But, uh, but I think beneath that, I think the top, maybe position four, five and six, and probably seven as well, I think they're up for grabs this year. I don't think Man United look particularly strong. I think Arsenal are still, even though they look under Arteta, still a little bit a little bit behind those elite clubs. Um, so I think there's definitely room for clubs like Wolves, Leicester again, um, and Everton, West Ham, potentially they look very good this year, to uh, to get into those those top seven, top six positions. 
Alex, where can people find more from you and the stuff you write on Wanderers for the Birmingham Mail? So it'll just be obviously birminghammail.co.uk and uh, obviously I've got my own Facebook page. We've got our Wolves FC underscore latest Twitter feed, Wolves Live, um, and obviously myself uh, at Alex E. Dickin. You can come on again as well, Alex, if you're tipping West Ham to finish in top six. 100% you're welcome anytime. <laughs> I said chance, chance of top six, top ten. Cheers, Alex. <laughs> No worries. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, guys. So that's the end of another episode of Football Social Daily. Thanks very much, Steve. Oh, you're very welcome. I enjoyed that as always. Cheers, Jim. Nice one, Noel. He's put down the crack pipe for another week on the podcast. He'll <laughs> be back out. <laughs> it's weekend now. It's the weekend. What's the weekend for? It's not for crack pipes. We're in lockdown, mate. What else is there to do? There's nothing else to do. Anyway, um, I'm Niall. Thanks for joining us on today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget, full preview of the weekend's action coming up tomorrow morning. So make sure you hit subscribe. And that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast. All the Premier League's weekend fixtures previewed in detail, as well as the review show with Fergal on Sunday a full rundown of all the weekend's results and action. And we'll be back next week with more daily content for you. So as I say, hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss one. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.